Praise God. We uh, welcome those that are watching either live or uh, by archive on the internet. God bless you. We welcome you and pray that this service has and will be a blessing to you. Um, in this new role, and it's seven and a half years old now, this new role that God has moved me in, and I'm not uh, anywhere close to prepared to try to put a label on it, and I don't really care what the label is, uh, in my travels in various places, not only in this country, but around the world, um, I have found that uh, I've experienced that God gives me messages for the church. Sometimes they're for a specific lo location, and even a message that He gives me, f that He's given me for the church, when I agree to preach that message, when I agree in the Spirit, yes, Lord, I'll preach that message, it's never the same sermon. It's never delivered in the same way. The, the Spirit of the Lord tailors that message for the people to whom it's being preached, etc. Uh, in Anchorage, two weekends ago, not counting yesterday, three weekends ago counting yesterday, uh, the Lord gave me a message uh, for that church, and I thought it was for that church. Uh, but then when I went to the Winnipeg area the following weekend, uh, I preached from the same scripture in two different churches and realized that this was really a word from the Lord for the church, the church, and honestly couldn't wait to get back here to preach this to you. On that, on this same trip, he gave me another word that's a different word but very important for the church and especially Antioch and so brother Simpson and brother Valley I'm asking that whatever equipment you don't have you make arrangement for that equipment to be purchased and all of it tested out by next Sunday night because I will be preaching that message here on Sunday night and I want it streamed to Baltimore okay so you can talk to Brother uh, Stewart or whomever else here to assist in whatever way you need it. But I want that tested and working by next Sunday night. Okay? Uh, we're happy to have our Baltimore uh, congregations in service with us tonight. At least the <laughs> core of the group. We're thankful they're here. Uh, but... Next Sunday night, uh, we, we're going to stream this service, especially the message, live to Baltimore to our service there on Sunday night. Uh, these are two different messages, but very, very, very critical for where we are right now. So Galatians chapter 6 and beginning with verse 7, if you would read with me, and I know you're, you've been standing a few minutes, but... In a few minutes, you will sit down and I'll still be standing. So, pray for me. Praise God. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life, or life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You may be seated. I'm going to uh, the Amplified Version. If you would allow me, I'm going to read those three verses from the Amplified. And again, if you're not familiar with the Amplified Version, it is exactly that. The effort was made by the translator to give the full flavor of the Greek words in the English, and that decreases readability. It enhances understanding, but decreases readability. So it is on the screen, and hopefully you can follow with me. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 from the Amplified. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, and mocked by mere pretensions or professions or, or by his, what did I do? What happened? Okay, touched the wrong button. Uh, Change versions on me, I guess. Okay. Again, do not be deceived or and deluded or, and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. Wow. See, that's in brackets. That lets, that's the translators being honest to let you know they're trying to summarize and clarify the statement. But it's not a translation of the original. He inevitably it deludes himself who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and only that, that and that only is what he will reap. For he who sows to his own flesh, lower nature or sensuality, will from the flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the spirit will reap the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap. If we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. And one last one, and the last time I used it here, there were people that snickered at it because they thought I was kidding. It is the ERV or the easy to read version. It's the name of it, okay? If you would permit me, and it's taking a moment to get that on the screen here. I don't think we've got that for you here in the sanctuary. And I'd like to know what's happening to this Apple device.
All right, so I'll read to you the Good News Translation. <laughs> it won't give me the other one right now. Do not deceive. Oh, thank you. I was waiting on you, and there you are. Easy to read version. If you think you can fool God, you're only fooling yourselves. You will harvest what you plant. Ooh. If you live to satisfy your sinful self, the harvest you will get from that will be eternal death. But if you live to please the Spirit, your harvest from the Spirit will be eternal life. We must not get tired of doing good. We will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time. We must not give up. Now, obviously there are many different directions I could go with that tonight. You're going to be a little surprised at the direction I do go. I read verses 7 and 8 because I wanted you to see that verse 9 is not speaking specifically of the end time worldwide harvest that we believe that God has promised of souls coming into the kingdom before his return to earth. Uh, that is the most important harvest. But We need to understand that every one of us is sowing and have a harvest awaiting us individually of what we've sown. Now, thank God for the blood. Because of His mercy, His love, and through His blood, there's a lot of stuff that we've sown that He, He pulls out before it can ever produce any fruit. So if you will allow me to, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this one, I'd rather not focus on the negative side of this. I want to talk about the positive side of it. Last night in service, the Holy Ghost was so very specific in what he said to us, wanting us to not give up on prayers that we've prayed, not give up on people that we've prayed for, not accept defeat over what our eyes see as being hopeless situations. The Spirit of the Lord challenged us to pray with a fresh resolve of faith and to use that faith not only to pray in the Spirit in intercessory prayer, but also to pray in faith, in the confession of your faith. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 talks about us having the same spirit of faith. David said, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Paul said, in that same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we speak. It is not faith just because you believe it in here. Romans 10 tells us for it to be faith, it must be spoken aloud. Now, some people, they want to take that verse in Romans 10, and they want to make that into a plan of salvation verse. Slight problem. Look at, look at who, to whom the letter is written. It's addressed to the church. 
It's not telling unsaved people how to get saved. It's telling saved people how to receive anything from God. Because you see, the Greek word translated saved there is S-O-Z-O. And I, I'm not a Greek scholar, can't pronounce it. I just pronounce it sozo because that's what makes sense to me. But if you will study what the scholars say about that Greek word, this is what you'll find out. That word can mean anything from a personal deliverance of things that have you hindered or restricted or bound, spiritual or, or, or spirit or of spirit origin or otherwise. It can mean you get physical healing. It can be you can get mental or emotional healing, and of course, it also can be eternal salvation. That word. The meaning of that word can only be understood by the context in which it's used because it can mean all of those different things. So the point there Paul is trying to tell us is here is how a Christian fights the good fight of faith. This is the walk of faith. This is how you use faith. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. The Bible says, I believe with my heart, but confession is made unto salvation, unto the receiving of whatever it is God has is, is put in my heart and helped me believe for. I'm going to receive that only if I confess what God says he wants to do. I have to confess it. That's why the Lord said last night, for those who will take up the word of faith, He promised you that if you will pray in the Spirit and confess. Now here's the difference. Oh Lord, save my son. What's that? That's not faith. That is prayer. It's not faith. Here is faith. Lord, thank you for saving my son. I confess that I believe that you are saving my son. That's faith. That's faith. We are invited to ask. But to the spiritually wise... You always condition or clarify everything that you ask, seek for, or knock for with this caveat. The Savior's caveat. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If I am asking, if I am seeking, if I am knocking, I, I don't want what I'm asking, seeking, knocking for, if my heavenly Father knows it will turn out being negative to my walk with God and my eternal salvation. But since I'm not God, I am far from God, and I don't know what's best for me. When I ask, I seek, I knock, I pray, nevertheless, Father, not what I will, but as you will. Now, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, there's two primary Greek words translated in the English with W-O-R-D. One of them is logos. 
Logos is the forever settled word. Logos is the written word. But the other word is rhema. R-H, it's rhema. But I don't say it like that because I don't speak Greek, so it's rhema. (laughs) We sat out at a restaurant (laughs) in Winnipeg and... I, I was exhausted, and I, I want to go back to the room, but my wife is hungry, and I'm going to take care of her. So we go, we get, get something to eat, and I got two services in a matter of hours the next morning, and uh, we sat down, and I'm tired, and this really sweet lady, she helped me a whole lot. She was just bubbly, nice. She walked up to the table and asked us, and, and I replied, she said, where are you from? She said, that's a pretty thick accent you've got. And by the time our conversation was over with, she'd invited herself to go to church. Needless to say, I didn't leave the restaurant tired. I left there very energized. So in this uh, southern drawl I have, it's rhema. Okay? The word rhema is uh, anytime you see the suffix M-A on the end of a Greek word, it's the result of. So, for instance, charisma, we call it charisma. It's charisma. This is the Greek word that's translated spiritual or spiritual gifts. So the M-A is result of. What's charis? Grace. So when God is operating through humans in some spiritual gifting, it is a result of his grace, his love, wanting to benefit other people. So rhema, the M-A is the result of, the the reo, it's R-H-E-O, is literally the utterance of the living voice. So rhema is the results of or what the living voice has said to us. The voice of the Spirit. Now we, and this is, I, I, I know I'm going a little bit into this farther than I want to, but I need to simply because I'm following the Holy Ghost and he that hath ears to hear ought to be understanding that. Logos is always superior to rhema. Because Logos is the yardstick by which we measure Rhema. Because Logos is the forever settled word. And God is never going to say anything to you and I that's in contradiction to Logos. Rhema is never going to contradict Logos. And if I think God has spoken to me and it's in contradiction to Rhema, to Logos... That wasn't from God. That's why the Bible says we should try the spirits to see whether or not they be of God. That's not, ooh, no, 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 no. It's comparing what the impression or the thought or feeling I had or or what I've heard in internally that is the voice of God speaking to me through whatever means he does that. It's comparing that to the written word mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to find out if 
it's in agreement or in contradiction. If it's in agreement, I can trust it. If it's in contradiction, I reject it. There, it may have been a spirit speaking it to me, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. So the word confess in the Greek literally means to speak in agreement with. Now, we've got a bunch of guys in the last 50 years that they've come up with a name it, claim it doctrine. Just, just claim it and God will give it to you. I'd like to see chapter and verse for that because it's not in the book. Oh, but it says confess. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. Biblically, And literally, according to the Greek, I can't confess something that God doesn't first say to me. It is not confession unless God first says it to me. And then because with with the heart, man believes. In other words, I receive God's word. I hear God God speak to me in here. Not in my intellect, in my spirit. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema, the voice of the Spirit speaking to me, the voice of God, the Word of God, the rhema of God. And I hear that in here. If I believe it here, I have not completed the circuit until I'm willing to speak audibly what I have believed. And that's what the Lord was trying to say last night. It's not a matter of feeling. Let me tell you something else. The scripture talks about mustard seed faith. Let me tell you what mustard seed faith is. If I've got enough faith to speak it out loud, even though my intellect says that's stupid, that's ridiculous, you're a fool for saying that. If I've got enough faith to speak it out loud, that's enough faith for God to do it because all he needs is mustard seed faith. I may not feel it. I may not get any witness when I say it. But if God spoke it to my heart and I confess by speaking out loud what he said to me, I have completed the circuit of faith. If you're living your life, you're not ever confessing anything, then you're not exercising any faith. If you're not hearing anything, not speaking anything, then you have no expectancy, then you have no faith. And you may be a participant in religion, and you may be fulfilling the obligation of the Christian religion, but you don't have any faith. And you're not saved because you're a good Christian religionist. You're saved because you got faith. There's only a little bit of frankincense on that. There was just a little bit of frankincense on that. I got a whole shaker up here if you want to see some more of it, but (laughs) that was enough. So I'm sowing, I'm sowing. How am I sowing? I'm sowing, I'm speaking this word. I'm sowing this seed. I'm speaking it into the, the supernatural atmosphere. The Lord talks about Satan being the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. 
So I'm a human being, but I'm a conduit for God to speak His heavenly word into the earthly atmosphere so the circuit can be complete, so the seed can be sown. I I don't go dig up the seed tomorrow that I've sown today and see if it's working. And when those tiny little uh, 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 twigs or, or uh, leaves first break the soil, I don't go dig that up and throw it away because that's not a whole stalk of corn. You want it to grow? Water it. Keep praying for it. Keep confessing it. Pray some intercessory prayer, some travailing prayer. Believe it. Now, Satan is so afraid, the adversary is so afraid of the child of God understanding this and getting a hold of this, he has an antidote for it. The scripture says, Be not weary in well-doing, for you shall, in due season, you shall reap. If you faint not, your prayer is going to be answered as long as you don't lose heart, give up, and quit. That's what the word faint means. You lose heart, you give up, you quit. You give up on the harvest before it's time to reap it. Now, depending on what kind of seed you get, you put in the ground, if you're an experienced farmer, you know that each type of seed is going to take a, a, a different length of time, first of all, to germinate, finally to break the, the, the surface of the soil, and then ultimately to produce a fruit that's ripe. Each type of seed takes a different length of time. And you don't give up and quit because you haven't reached harvest time for that particular seed. You don't. And so Paul says through the Spirit, be not weary in in well-doing. What's well-doing? Believing God, praying, fighting a good fight of faith, speaking the word of faith regardless of what it looks like to the eye, regardless of what the intellect says. You keep saying it because it's God. He said it. You believe it. And you keep, you, you, you keep praying that and thanking Him for it. Once you get a word from God, you don't ever ask God for that ever again. Why? Because when it says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you're not using your faith, faith anymore. Here's my faith. And Jesus talked about our faith and the faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read, read it in there. Two different kinds of faith. What's my faith? My faith operates on logos. My faith sees Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks find, everyone that knocks shall be opened unto you. That's my faith. Nothing specific promised to me. It's the invitation to pray. And I pray. Again, personally, I condition that prayer with, nevertheless, not as I will, but as, as you will. I don't want what you don't want me to have. You know what's best for me. I don't want something you don't want me to have. There's not anything in this world I could want or want God to do that I'm willing for it to cost me my soul. Nothing. Nothing. 
I would rather be a quadriplegic laid up in a bed on a breathing machine every conscious moment for the rest of my life and go to heaven than have the full health of my body and live in self-will and self-promotion and play God. And how do you know if you're playing God? You stay in control. If you make your own decisions, you're in control, you're playing God. I don't want health. I don't want everything to go well for me and tempt me to play God if it's going to cost me my soul. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he said, I'm going to boast about my infirmities. He didn't boast about his revelations. He didn't boast about his blessings. He boasted about infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. Why did he do that? Because those were his true blessings. They kept his flesh out of the way so that God could be God through him. So if I'm exercising my faith, I don't want me in God's way. But now when I hear a rhema, and I believe that rhema, that's not my faith anymore. I don't have to condition that, nevertheless, as God wills, Lord, just, you know, just your will. When he speaks it to me, that's not only a promise, but it is his will. And when I'm confessing that, I'm confessing not only is that what he's promised, I'm confessing that's his will and that he will do it if he could just find somebody that will believe with him and allow him to work through them. Now, I will say this to you. Jesus hung on a cross, and this is what they said to him. If thou be the Son of God, save yourself. Let me tell you something. The more you find out about this power of the living God that is resident in you, the more you will realize the danger of using it for your own benefit the more you realize that you weren't given that for you to prosper by it. Whatever prospering God wants me to have, that's his business. But what he has, what he has entrusted into my life is not for my benefit. I will not use it for my own personal benefit and comfort. Well, don't you have needs? Yes, and I've got a father. And, and the father said to me concerning my needs, don't take any thought for what I'm going to eat. Don't take any thought for what I'm going to wear. Don't take any thought for that because your father knows what you have need of and he'll take care of it in his way, in his time. I trust the father. So I don't want to use my giftings to save myself when the giftings are given to me for the purpose of benefiting the world, the lost of this world, the church of the living God. So he said, don't be weary in well-doing, but in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. So what does the adversary want you to do? He wants you to get weary. He wants you to quit and give up. 
well, you probably won't quit coming to church. You just quit believing. Just quit praying with any kind of, hello, what happened? One, two, three. I don't know what happened. I didn't touch anything different I've been touching. Now I forgot what I was saying. Sorry? Well, I know that's the message. I was thinking, forgot what I, what I was just saying. <laughs> All right, I'll just pick up from here. <laughs> Sorry? Right. If you, if you are, if you are coming to church, Without expectancy, you're coming to church without faith. If you're going to prayer without expectancy, you're going to prayer without faith. How do we get in that condition? Weariness. You had to have enough faith to come to God. You had to, had to have enough faith to believe that he died, rose again, and uh, his blood was shed for you so that you could... Repent and be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, have your sins forgiven, experience all of that. God, you had to have enough faith for that. So you, you, you started out with faith. When Paul said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, what's happened to you? Did somebody bewitch you? What's the problem? The problem is... I started out with faith. Faith is, the synonym of faith is trust. If you started out with faith, you had trust. Regardless if you could have defined it, explained it, you had it. When my 14-month-old grandson comes up and raises his hands to be picked up, he can't explain that's trust. He just knows what he wants. It's trust. That's why the greatest faith you will ever have is faith no greater than a little child's. The greatest faith on earth is the faith of a little, little child's. Because when mom or dad speaks, that little child never questions the faithfulness of that promise. That's why better to be honest with your child and tell them, I'm sorry I can't do that or we can't afford that than promise it and then hope they forget it. They will never forget it. That pure faith of a child never forgets. What causes me to get weary? What causes me to give up? What causes me to get in that condition? How do I get to the place that my faith didn't operate anymore? How do I get to the place that I'm weary, that I've given up on, on believing, that I'm going through the motions, that I'm just coming to church or going to prayer or reading my Bible, and I can't even tell you what it was I read. I, there's no meaning to it, no flow to it, no life to it. What is it that causes me to get in that place? What produces weariness? 
frustration. You get your hopes up for something, believing for something, praying for something, working, trying to be real good so God will bless you, doing everything you know to do, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, and it's not working. And you're trying hard, and nothing's happening. And you get frustrated. And it is frustration that wears you out and produces weariness. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So I'm paraphrasing that. If you've been praying and believing God for something and it hadn't been happening, the Bible says that while they waited for their promise to come to pass. The word of the Lord tried them. Faith. The real battle of faith takes place from the moment you get the promise till you see it come to pass. All of that is the good fight of faith. Whether that's a matter of hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, a lifetime, it makes no difference. From the moment you get the promise to the time you see the promise come to pass, that is the good fight of faith. To believe no matter how long, 25 years. Uh, yet I got to be honest with you. For a 75-year-old man to believe that him and his 65-year-old wife is going to have a baby when she's been barren for 65 years, you understand how much faith it took just to believe that at 75? And she's 65? I mean, really? But God waited a few months, and then he waited a few years, and then he waited a couple of decades. And the promise didn't come to pass till Abraham was a 100 and Sarah was 90. You say that's impossible. Yeah, that's why it's called a miracle. That's how we know it was God. Because anything that man can do, it's not a miracle. So when man says that's impossible, man's only confessing that's God's arena. Because that's the realm and the arena of the miraculous is when man can't do it. And people that can only believe God for that which is possible, they don't know anything about faith. They've never had any faith. They don't even believe in God's ability. Because God's ability doesn't even, He doesn't even bother to get involved in stuff you can do. Oh, oh, I forgot. Of course, Jesus did say in John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. But it takes most of us a lifetime to finally believe that. So frustration produces weariness. It produces weariness. You like that one, huh? <laughs> oh, you don't want me focusing on you for a minute? Oh, no, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, no, I don't need to. You, you got beat up enough last weekend. I, I, don't need to, I don't need to focus on you tonight. What causes frustration? Oh, here it's going. I got to get my frankincense out. I can't help it. 
What causes frustration? Pressure. Where does pressure come from? When you're trying to talk God and doing something that he doesn't particularly think should be done. Right. When you're trying to, to, to get God to do it either what you want or when you want it or how you want it. That's pressure. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're feeling pressure over anything, the only thing you're feeling pressure over is what you're maintaining control over. That was a little bit heavier dose of frankincense, wasn't it? Yeah. You don't have to believe this. It's absolutely the truth, though. It is not the will of God for us to ever live under any kind of pressure. No matter what it is we're going through. Now, the weary look at me kind of funny and go, you're kidding, right? That's why you're weary. That's why you're weary. It's not age that makes you weary. It's the weight of pressure. Pressure. And pressure comes from trying to maintain control of things so you can talk God into doing what you want him to do, how you want him to do it, when you want him to do it, where you want him to do it, with whom you want him to do it. Pressure. Pressure. You live under pressure long enough, you will be frustrated you live under frustration long enough you will be weary when you get weary you will turn your faith off and when your faith turns off all of this stuff god wants to do for you to you through you suddenly reaches a dam you know dams create beautiful lakes but all that dam does is tell you how much good water didn't get downstream to be a benefit because that's what a dam is it's man's attempt to control the elements we don't trust you to supply water when we need it god so we're going to dam up the blessings so we can determine how they flow when they flow how fast they flow Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I've seen some impressive dams in my life. You ever, if you've never seen the Hoover Dam. Woo! What a, what a great piece of uh, engineering that is. Wow. Slight problem. If you read anything about it, you'll find that Lake Mead behind Hoover Dam is, I, I last, I think it's like 20, 30, 40, 50 feet below the water level in the reservoir below that. Because you see, even with man's dam, they can't control God. Pressure. 
Do you know how much pressure there is built up behind a dam? Anybody ever hear of the Johnstown flood, Pennsylvania? Hundreds of people lost their lives because some folks with a lot of money in in Pittsburgh built themselves a hunting retreat up in the mountains north of of, uh, Johnstown. And they built this earthen dam and it had flaws in it. And a flood came and the, the gates weren't able to handle the amount of water. And so the water poured over the dam. The dam collapsed and all of that water, millions and millions of gallons of water came rushing down that valley at one time. Because you see, when your dam finally breaks, it's not necessarily going to be a pleasant thing. So so what causes this pressure? Why is it that I try to control God? Why? Why? I'll tell you why. No, let's let Paul tell you why. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Let's find out why we choose to try to control God and manipulate God. But what things were, were, past tense, were gained to me. Those I counted lost for Christ. Paul couldn't begin to get rid of his pressure until he first dealt with all he had lost that was important to him. The first step to peace. The first step to learning to truly trust God. The first step to learning how to live a life without pressure. The first step is to finally have funerals for all that you've lost. Finally. Finally. Because here's the problem, you see. When you still are grieving over what you've lost, that grief opens your spirit up to all kinds of stuff. Fear. Fear causes you to need to be in control. Need to be in control. Tries to tell God how to do his business. That puts you under pressure. Puts you under strain. I think it's John 14, 26. Let's try that one. John 14, 26. No, that's not it. I don't remember. It's it. The one in John 14 says, My peace I, I give you, not as the world gives, so give I unto you. Jesus in that verse in John 14, if somebody's looking for it, there's Adam for me. Oh, there it is. 27. As a verse off, would I? Peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace, my peace. Not your peace, not the world's peace. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What's the difference between peace that most peace humans are looking for, this world's peace, and God's peace? It all has to do with the circumstances. Peace that the world has, the people, the people that are, are not truly living a life of faith, the only time they have peace is when there's no trouble, when there's no problems, when everything is calm and everything is solved. But you let trouble come and they lose their peace. But the Lord's peace is exactly the opposite of that. It is a peace that passeth all understanding. It is peace, it is His peace that He gives to us that we have in spite of the circumstances. Anybody can have peace when everything's going their way. But the true testimony that you have the peace of God is your attitude, actions, your walk with God, your words, when your whole world is falling apart. Jesus summarized his last teaching in John 14, 15, and 16. This is the last word of his teaching to the church before he went out to Gethsemane to pray, John 16, 33. Before he went out to, to Gethsemane to pray, and then he was taken captive to be crucified. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have shall have not a thing you could do about it one way or the other it's going to happen that's the way it's designed this is not heaven he's made no promises to make this heaven he's made no promises to protect you or i no matter how spiritual we are from pain problems and pressure this is life it's the way life is designed this is what he designed it to be why what did he tell israel after they left bondage in egypt he said, when you get into Israel, you get into the promised land, and you're living in houses you didn't build and reaping fields you didn't sow and, and reaping from, from vineyards you didn't plant, and you you got all these benefits, beware lest you get full and forget me. The Lord didn't have to worry about them, forget, them forgetting him in the wilderness while they were wandering where every morning they had to trust that manna was going to be there or they were going to starve he didn't worry about he didn't have to worry about them forgetting him in the trial forgetting him in the test forgetting him in the desert in the wilderness he was worried about them forgetting him in the blessing forgetting him in the fullness of the blessing And so therefore, he says to them, in the world you shall have tribulations. It's not punishment. He's not angry with you. In fact, really, it's because he loves you. You know, I, some of you may be educators and I may be offensive to you. God, help me and I hope you forgive me, but I'm really sorry. Okay? You know, we got this philosophy of education today. You don't give a child a bad score. You don't fail them in an exam because you don't want to hurt their, 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 uh, 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 self-esteem. Well, I got a question. Can you tell me the employer that's going to hire a child like that when they get older? 
Who's going to pay a person for shoddy work, for incompetence, just because they don't want to hurt their self-esteem? That's sick. It's sick. And then we wonder why our jails are so full of kids. And you, and you know, and, and, and the age of incorrigible children just keeps decreasing. Because you don't tell a child no. No. You don't tell a child no. You hear me right now. You don't teach a child to obey their parents. They'll never learn to obey God. If you teach a child that it's a bad thing and it's a negative thing to them to have to obey their parent, then they will see God's expectations of their uh, of them obeying Him as being bad also. In fact, that's the exact purpose of such a doctrine. If, a ch- if these children's self-esteem is so great, then why do they... Have to look like that. Why do they have to live more and more extreme? I, I'm no no offense, excuse me, but how many people in this room over forty, in whatever life you were raised in, would have considered sending pictures of your nude self to people by text message? Oh well, it's this generation that has all this great self esteem. Oh, sir, they got all this great self-esteem. So they're going to take nude pictures of themselves and text it to people. Boy, they're really healthy, aren't they? Woo! They are healthy. Well, that's great if it's somebody else's kid, but let me ask you something, parent. Is it okay with you if your 16-year-old girl is texting nude pictures of herself to boys? You probably get a little negative about that. You might even tell them no. God, ooh, horror of horrors. Tell them no. No, you're probably the one passing out the condoms. You're kidding, right? Paul said, those things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ... I'd already lost them, but I was grieving over them. I was grieving over their loss. Is there anybody sitting here that doesn't have things in your past that you've lost that it's absolutely, totally hopeless that you can fix it? It's done. Maybe things you've done, you wish you could, you could go back and undo them. Things you wish you would have done, you did not do. Hopes you had, dreams you had. That completely failed to come to fruition? Yes. You can't give your purity away but once. It's gone. And I wonder how many people in this world where they would, they would admit it because you wouldn't be enlightened, but in their heart of hearts, they so grieve over the loss of that. I think there was a place in the Bible like that. Boy, doesn't this this fruit look good? You eat this, you'll be like a God. You'll know good and evil. 
God, there's no, there's no consequences for eating this. Nah, it's just a lie. Nothing's bad going to happen to you. Here, eat this. You'll know everything God knows. You'll be like God. Isn't that all? Don't you want that? Here, here, taste this. It doesn't take but just a little bit of study to find out that the same voice that was saying, here, take a bite of this, because it'll make you like God, is the same voice that after they ate was the one that telling them that they were naked and they were ashamed. God didn't hide from man in the garden. Man hid from God. Why? Because the same voice that talked them into that stuff is the same one that told them God won't have anything to do with you now. You better go hide because he's about to kill you. The same one that says you eat of this and you're not going to die is the same one said you better go hide because God's about to kill you. Same voice. Same voice. Those things that were gained to me, I've counted lost for Christ. Grief. If I could only undo this, if I could only fix this, if I could only go back. But here's how Paul dealt with that. Let's put it up there again. Philippians 3, 7, please. Those things that were gained to me. What things? Notice the past tense here. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. In other words, the only way you can finally be free of the grief over your losses from your past is to understand that it was your losses, your losses that have brought you to God. That it's your losses that have caused you to realize that you're not a God and that you need Him. It's your losses. And that all of the value, the great value, that's a product of those losses is the impact those losses have had from, on me in getting me closer to Jesus. It's the only way you get rid of grief, folks. What things were gained to me, I counted lost. Why? Because I realized what I've gained because of the losses is greater than the gain of keeping what I lost. It's the only way. It's the only way you can let go of that. It's the only way you will ever be free of the grief of your losses. There's absolutely nothing else in this world, period, that can give value to that loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of an ambition, the loss of a dream, the loss of the affection of a parent, a husband, a wife, the affection of a child, whatever that loss is, the only thing that will ever give it value is the impact it's had on bringing you closer to Jesus. That means... Those that don't have faith in Christ, they can never find any value in their losses. So what do they do? They get bitter. They blame God. They shake their finger in his face. They're angry at him. And they only broaden the distance between them and God. But Paul didn't stop there. The next step in learning to live without pressure is... Verse 8. 
Notice that verse 7 dealt in the past or with the past. What things were gained to me, past tense. I counted, past tense, loss for Christ. Now, verse 8, we're dealing in the present. Yea, doubtless, and I count, present tense, all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. For what purpose? That I may win Christ. If what I have lost could bring me this close to God because it teaches me I'm a man, I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't have all abilities. I can't fix my problems. I need God. If what I have lost has brought me this much closer to God, how much closer to God can I get by giving up in advance everything I could lose? When you do that, the pressure is gone. Well, I don't want to lose everything. Okay, then live in fear. Live in fear. Because until you surrender everything to the loving Father in advance, you will never live a day without pressure. And trust me, my friend, until you've ever lived with peace, And no pressure. You have no concept of what abundant life truly is. My life is so far from perfect. In every way imaginable. But you hear me right now. I live an abundant life. Because I live with peace. And no pressure. You know why? Because I don't have anything left I can lose. I got a lot of stuff that he's trusting me to hang on to like you would with a deposit in the bank. But if he writes a check, it's his. I already gave it to him. I'm just a bank. I don't own what's, what's deposited here. It's all, I've given up all ownership rights of it. Given all ownership rights of it up. I don't own any of it anymore. Nothing. I'm just a bank. Periodically, he withdraws this and withdraws this and withdraws this. Now, I got a question. Would any of you do business with a bank that when you wrote a check, they say, nah, we, we, we can't cash this check today. We don't want to, we want to hang on to your money just to this money just a little while longer. Wait, wait a minute. That's my money. And that's, that's part of the deal here. I let you use and hold my money. Until I'm ready for it. And when I'm ready for it, no questions asked. You give me my money. That's Christianity right there. That's New Testament Christianity right there. How do I know that? Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look up the Greek word there for deny. It doesn't mean say no to self. It means to disavow ownership of. You confess, you don't own you. Isn't that what the Bible says? We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. That sounds like.
prison to me. That sounds like slavery and bondage to me. No, that's true liberty. Because until I give up control to him, I'm not in control. I've had people say to me, I've been let down by people so many times, I don't trust anybody but myself. And my response to them is, so you've never let yourself down? And you see their face fall because suddenly they realize just, you know, they need major surgery because they got both feet, both hands all stuck down their throat. Uh, yeah, I've let myself down. Uh, is there a possibility you've let yourself down more than all other humans and God combined? Uh, yeah. Oh, so you're not going to trust anybody else but yourself. You know what? If you really didn't want to be let down, I trust everybody else and God and not you anymore. Because you're the one letting yourself down. You let yourself down. Disavow ownership up. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to be my disciples, what he said. Oh, man, the, the world hears that and they go, oh, man, that's, that's horrible. That's terrible. Really? It's, I got to admit, man, it's really terrible. Having peace that passes all understanding. That is terrible. A life with absolutely no pressure, no matter what the government's doing, no matter what the economy's doing, no matter what's happening in the world, no pressure. Well, then you're a fool. Call me what you want to. I consider myself a child of God. Now, you got to understand something. By nature, I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. I'm sorry to confess to you that I don't study the Bible all the time. On my iPad, I have won 672 consecutive games of free sale. I don't play solitary. It's a game of chance. Free sale is all about fixing problems. It's solving. It's solutions. That's my nature. I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. Do you know how much I had to lose to finally acknowledge I needed to retire from problem solving? Do you know how much I had to go through to finally get to the place that I acknowledged that the few problems I could fix weren't worth holding on to the myriad of problems I couldn't fix. Now, this service tonight is just as spiritual as last, last Monday night. Right. I like that service. I wish I'd have been here. But the Holy Ghost is trying to say something to you tonight. This lesson is the foundation of how to see the promise last night come to pass. You don't try to make it happen. You believe. You pray. 
And you fight the good fight of faith by confessing your faith. You do that. So I'm winding down quickly here as quick as I can. I give up my past losses because they brought me to Christ. So I'm able to let those go. When I let go of the, my losses, then I, I'm freed from the grief of those losses. When I'm freed from the grief of those losses, that closes the door to fear tormenting me in the present, say, telling, threatening me with what I could lose now or could lose in the future. So when I close the door to the grief over what I have lost, I am then closing the door of access to fear over what I could lose. And once I stop fearing what I could lose, I'm then able to start trusting my father with everything in my life to the point that I can say, Father, there's not anything in my life I want to hang on to at the expense of not getting as close to you as I possibly can. So I take all of this and give it to you now. Whatever you let me keep for however long you let me keep it, it's still yours. I will not allow this to stay in my control and be an open door of access to fear in my life. Once I give up control because I now trust and trusting God and giving up control are synonymous principles. You can't do one without doing the other. And when I do that, when I do that, I now will have hope and joy from that hope. Why? Because I have unshakable confidence. That's why the Bible says there are three things that are the greatest. Faith, hope, and charity. We wonder as Americans why hope is in between faith and charity. We know love is the greatest. And faith, that's an awesome, important thing. But but hope, hope to us, the way we use the word is I'm wishing this. I hope this happened. I hope that happened. No, no, no. The Greek word translated hope is greater than faith. Faith is the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But hope is literally confident expectation that what you're believing for will take place. Unshakable confidence and of expectation that it's going to happen. It doesn't matter to me whether it happens today, tomorrow, next week, next year. It doesn't matter to me. My hope, and Romans 8.24 says, I'm saved by... Hope. But some of us don't ever get past faith. You know why? Because you can't separate faith and trust. And you can't really have trust while you're maintaining control. And while you're maintaining control, you're under pressure. And the longer you stay under pressure, the more frustrated you're going to get. And the more frustrated you get, the more weary you get. And when you get weary, you now become the hindrance, the roadblock, for God fulfilling his promises to you. Here's the problem. We tell ourselves, that is too simple. No. The more simple, or the simpler, I don't know which one of those is correct, so I'll say it both ways. More simple for those that believe that's right. Simpler for those that believe that's right. That something is. 
the more obviously it's a revelation from God. Because when God opens our understanding and gives us wisdom, it seemingly takes the complicated and the impossible and makes it easy to understand. And now all I have to do is to trust His grace to empower me to walk by that because I can't do that myself. That's why Paul started every epistle that he wrote. Within the first seven verses of the first chapter of every epistle, he made this statement. Grace and peace from the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. That wasn't an opening salutation to the letter. That was the most important apostolic impartation that he could give to those that he was the apostle of. Grace and peace. Grace is not a passive thing that gives you a license to live any old way you want to and claim salvation. Grace, biblical grace, is the supernatural impartation of the strength and the ability to do what your humanity cannot do on its own. So Paul prayed grace and peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ upon you. Grace and peace upon you. Father, we love you tonight. But we confess that you love us far, far more than we love you. We thank you for your loving us. We thank you for your word, for your instruction. We thank you for the spirit of revelation that's been in this place. I pray right now, Father, in Jesus' name, that the spirit of grace and the spirit of peace would come upon every person in this room and every person listening to this lesson now or in the future. That the spirit of grace and spirit of peace would come upon them. That your grace would empower them, giving them the ability that they don't have on their own. To give up control to you. To give up ownership to you. Both of their past losses and of what they have now or may have to lose. That you would deliver them from grief. Heal them of the grief of their losses. That you would deliver them from fear. That you would deliver them from the pressure of trying to be under control of things. And make things go like they want to. Like they want them to. That in Jesus' name, Father, that you could give us deliverance from pressure and frustration and from weariness in Jesus' name. So that we can live in the peace that passes all understanding. We thank you for that. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ upon every person. Here in the sound of my voice, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You say, what am I supposed to do, preacher? You need to be speaking out loud. Not loud. You don't have to say it loud, but you need to be speaking out loud. Father, I receive your grace.
I can't do this myself. I cannot give up all this myself. I can't give up my past. I can't give up the grief of my past on my own. I can't do it, Father. But I receive your grace to enable me to do it. I don't want to be in control. I want you to be in control. However you feel to say it, whatever words you want to use, that's the principles that you need to be praying right now. You don't have to say it loud, but because confession is part of faith, you need to say it out loud. It may not be any more than a whisper. Just barely enough for your own ears to pick up on it but you need to speak what you have received tonight what you believe from what you've received tonight and there needs to be a resolve that comes by the grace of God in you because it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure it's God at work in us enabling us that's the grace of God that it's the grace of God it's God in us that's working to enable you both to desire and to do of that which pleases him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My, my, my. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this place. The Spirit of God's manifested. Let the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that what you've heard tonight is not some sermon. It's not some intellectual treatise. But that you have heard a, a word from the Spirit of God. It might be human voice that was used, but it's only the conduit. God spoke in this place tonight. Come on, receive it. He wants to help you. He wants to help you. Our Father wants to help you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He wants to be able to use you. You're not going to take on the burden of the loss, which is his burden, while you're still carrying your burdens. The Lord won't put on you more than you can bear. If you're carrying your burdens, he will never let you carry his burden. He will never give you his burden for the lost to carry if you persist in carrying your own burdens. Come on. Come on. There was a, there was a true blaze of faith that was ignited in this place last night for our loved ones and our friends and our family that don't know Jesus. They don't have to come to this church. That's not what it's about. But they need to know Jesus. They need to get their right, lives right with God. They need to let the Lord bring them into a saving place with Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. There, it is biblical that there are people who have known, who have tasted of the good word of God and the power of the world come. Who walk away. Second Peter 2 says, The proverb is true. The sow that was washed returned to her wallowing in the mire, and the dog returns to his vomit again. It's pretty graphic, but that's in the book. That's how God views a person that's been washed by the blood who goes back to the former lifestyle. 
It's a sad and tragic thing when someone who's experienced the blood of Jesus gives up and goes back to live that old life. But oh, my friend, (laughs) my friend, my God is able. It doesn't matter how far they've gone, how far down they've gone. My God is able. It doesn't matter how offensive to him and to the church their actions are. You can't do much more offensive toward God and the church of the living God than what the prodigal son did. I'm not going to wait for you to die, old man. Give me mine half of the inheritance now. You can't be more insulting than that. And yet the father welcomed him home when he came to himself. But something has to happen in the church. There has to be a faith, a confidence in the father. To be able to let the father use you as a conduit. To pray those prayers with faith. With confidence, with authority, with boldness. You have to be able to do that. The Lord won't do this without a, a prayer partner. You, you and I don't need prayer partners who are humans. We need, a, we need to be God's prayer partner. We need to be able to make ourselves available so he can pray through us. Jesus' name. Let's let's pray. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to hold you. I'm just trying to obey God. Let's pray one more time. The presence of the Lord is still in this place. Lord Jesus, everything in my life, everything in our lives that in any way stands as a hindrance and a blockage between us and being able to be available to you that you might do your work and your will in the earth. Remove it, Father. Remove it. Remove it. Clean out this conduit of any obstruction. Clean out this conduit of any instruction that you might flow through me. That you might work through me. That you might speak through me. That you might love through me. That you might believe through me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. My, 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 my. My, my, my. My. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. She mama mahasuka Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I believe you, Father. I believe you, Father. I believe you, Father. Revive us, O Lord. Revive our faith. Revive our passion. Revive our praise. Revive our burden. Revive our commitment. Revive us, Father. Revive us, Father. Revive us. Revive our devotion. Revive our, 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 our love for you. Revive us, Lord. Revive our love for your word. Revive us, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. 
Praise God. I, I'm not apologizing for any other reason than to let you know I'm aware of what time it is. But the Spirit of God is in this place. Could, could we just, if you really need to go, you're welcome to go. It, no offense taken, and, and please do so without embarrassment. But I cannot stop what God's doing just to be convenient for some folks. So if you really need to go, you're welcome to go. But the Holy Ghost is doing something in our lives right now. He's doing something in hearts right now. He's doing something in minds right now. He's changing focuses in people's lives. He's changing perspective in Jesus' name. He's taking our minds off us. He's getting, he's setting us free from the victim mentality and the poor me's and the pity parties of the past for what we've lost and what we've been grieving over. He's setting us free so we can be free. So we can be free to believe and free to pray and free to, to be used of God. Come on, let him help you right now. Come on, let him help you right now. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. There's some of you precious people sitting here whose lives are so full of anxiety. You're so full of fear. Your lives are so full of care. The Lord didn't call you to live like that. He doesn't want you living like that. He hasn't put that on you. That, that's not His will. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be able to trust Him. He is your Father and He loves you. He doesn't want you carrying these burdens. He doesn't want you carrying this load. He wants you to trust Him. He loves you. He cares for you. But He will not wrestle you over your troubles. He will not wrestle you for control over your problems. If you decide to keep control, He's going to stand back and let you. He will not violate your will. He will not violate your will. He will not wrestle you for control of your life. If you give up control, it will be given freely. If you surrender your past and your present, it will be done willingly. He will not force that on you it's your choice but his spirit is wooing his spirit is drawing his spirit is speaking to your heart to your spirit trying to get you to trust him to understand how much he loves you so that you can trust him no matter what your situation is right now no matter what your eyes see and your intellect says you can trust him in spite of all of that he knows tomorrow. You and I don't know tomorrow. He knows tomorrow. Trust the one that knows tomorrow. You can't trust yourself. You don't know the next two minutes. You don't know the next five minutes. How can you trust yourself when you don't know tomorrow? Trust the Father. Come on. Trust the Father. Trust the Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I know for some of you, your situation right now is really, really difficult. Really difficult, but don't be a prisoner of your present. Don't be a prisoner of your problems. Let him set you free. He wants you to do, he says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He wants to do the caring 
for you. He doesn't want you carrying the pressure of doing the caring. He wants to do the caring for you. But you've got to cast it upon Him. Cast all of your cares upon Him. For He careth for you. Release it. Turn it loose. Give it to Him. Let Him have it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every one of these people, Lord. I pray for every soul under the sound of my voice. Receive it. Come on, receive it. Let him help you. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 God bless you. You may be dismissed if you feel to pray. I encourage you to stay and pray. God bless you. Jesus' name.